Welcome to Marketing Like a Mother, a podcast made for mompreneurs by mompreneurs. Each week, we are diving into mom-approved business and marketing strategies to help you grow a profitable and family-friendly business. Today, I'm your host, Olivia Radcliffe, and I am here with the amazing Brittany Gardner, host of the Know, Like, and Trust Show podcast and creator of the Be Seen Method. Brittany helps establish multi-six-figure business owners craft evergreen content that nurtures their audience between launches. She translates humans and all their messy feelings into a measurable lead-generating visibility plan that makes it easy to show up consistently. So thank you so much for joining me, Brittany. I am so excited for our conversation. Uh, thanks, Olivia, for having me. I, I'm really excited for it as, as well. <laughs> Well, and so I think this topic of um, generating that 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 visibility that helps get you in front of your audience, gets you seen, um, and doing that something consistently is something that I think a lot of, especially moms with businesses, can struggle with because it seems like it takes so much effort to do anything like that consistently. So, what have you seen with your audience? How are you able to to help them directly? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that the the super short version of that answer would be, you know, anything's better than nothing if you've thought about it before you do that anything. I'm not a big fan of like what I call spaghetti on the wall posting. Like, you know, you mm -hmm. throw some social media posts on the wall and hope that one of them sticks, right? Um, if you put something out there with some intention and strategy and thought, that is better than nothing. And And I always like to kind of start any conversation about this topic with that idea because... I saw, I was scrolling Instagram yesterday, I think it was, and I saw like a Washington Post article mm -hmm. It was basically saying that, um, I don't remember the the main effect, but it was basically saying that, you know, exercising in the afternoon is better than any other time of the day. And I had like a gut crap reaction to that. And I was like, yeah. cool, not enough that I'm not exercising enough already. Now you want me to make afternoon time happen. I was like, that's just not never going to fit in my world. Right. So <laughs> I was, I was like, way to like make someone who's already like really struggling to make this happen, feel down about it. Right. So, um, I don't want to be that person for, for content creation. I don't want to kind of, you know, perpetuate that feeling. So I like to just remind people that intentional content production is better than nothing. Um, that said, yes, consistency is always going to be better, but that doesn't necessarily mean like you have to be doing it every day. Just, you know, do the same thing every week. Does it have to be on the same day? It doesn't. Is it better? Probably. But moving from there is kind of where we like to, to make the baseline. Yeah. So find what works for your schedule, what your bare minimum is that you can do and, and can stick to reliably and just do that. Don't worry about all the other strategies out there of posting 5 million times a day. And Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I did. There was one coach I worked with who said, I needed to post um, at least 10 times a day across multiple platforms every single day. And they had to be unique posts and don't copy them from one platform to the other. I was like, there's just no way. There's no way I have the time to do that, let alone like the mental bandwidth or the desire. If I had to sit down and do that, I would lose it. <laughs> that would not be good. I mean, I, I live and breathe content and I would lose it if I had to do that. So don't feel bad. <laughs> you know, um, I, I have some choice words for anyone who's saying that to anyone, whether they're people working on a limited time schedule or not. Um, 
if you also listen to podcasts in the car with your children, I will keep those choice words to myself. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's it's so hard because there are strategies in which that particular, you know, philosophy will work really well. Mm-hmm. I don't think if I, even if, even if I had the time or the inclination to commit to something like that for myself or any of my clients, I don't think it would work well for us because most of my people are doing content and therefore doing social media so that they can serve people. Their audience would pr- frankly be overwhelmed with that level of content. Right. So th- it's just not necessary. And, you know, if you were like a software as a service company and you're like trying to really increase market reach, yeah, sure. Like that's something that you probably want to look into, but you probably have a whole team doing just content if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you recommend as far as you you talk about evergreen content that nurtures in between launches? What sort of content are you talking about there? Yeah. So I have a three-part framework that I like to follow through. I call it the personality-driven marketing machine. And the first part of it is just owning the idea that your content is going to be strategic. Does that mean you have to make sure it's really targeted to your best client? Yeah, absolutely. Anything content-related is going to have to follow brand guidelines. And does it mean that you're going to have to choose which, you know, platform or venue is the best delivery for your content? Yeah. You got to know your people and know where they're hanging out and how you can best reach them. Right. And then you really just need to like choose really good, long lasting topics for it to become evergreen. And and how we do that is, is kind of go backwards from what your audience is looking for. So mm-hmm. let's say you have a a cohort-based coaching program or a, a service that you want to deliver. What does your audience need to know before they can even consider that as an option? You backwards compatibly like move from there for your content topics. So if they need to know three things or they need to have like three perspective shifts or realizations before they can even consider your program, then Mm -hmm. you need to start covering content that leads them through those three things. And for most of those three things, you can probably break them down to, to like, you know, three or four steps. And right there, you just created 12 evergreen content topics. So, you know, three things or shifts that they need to make, and then you break them down into steps. And that's kind of the outline of your, of your evergreen content plan. From there, you just have to show up like you, you, the person, right? Your voice, your personality, your countenance. And, and that does take some dedicated action. I like to remind people that we all have our own strengths and I, for, for my business, I have a podcast that is my primary content delivery platform. So I weekly show up on my podcast. Is it completely new content every week? Nope. I mm-hmm. use my evergreen format myself, right? But I do show up every week and then I disperse that like that podcast content into various different forms. And in my particular case, LinkedIn's my primary platform these days with Instagram being kind of a secondary platform. Mm-hmm. So I do pull a few quotes and those are like Instagram stories throughout the week. I usually have, you know, two or three social media caption-based posts that go on to both LinkedIn and Instagram. Since they both do carousels, I can actually use the exact same carousel content in both. I just export it as a PDF for LinkedIn and as a, you know, um, graphic carousel for the Instagram post. And then from there, um, I kind of look at what's going on, right? Do I do reels sometimes? I do. Do I do them all the time? I don't. You know, it's, it's kind of like what feels good for that particular 
topic. And that's kind of a testing thing. You know, we have to test. Uh, I like to remind people that all of marketing is a test. So that's a true statement right there. And what works for my audience might not work for yours, might not work for everybody else's. There's some things that are universal, like kindness and respect and being excited about what you're putting out there. But yeah, as far as um, whether your audience likes reels or they like it for that specific topic or what platform they're hanging out on, any of that, I think, yeah, it can be very specific. Um how do you recommend people go about figuring out where their audience actually is hanging out if they're not sure which platform to focus on first? Yeah. So first and foremost, you have to look at what you're willing to do. So it doesn't actually matter if your audience is hundred percent on Twitter, if you can't stand Twitter, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say yeah. that if you can't <laughs> commit to spending time there yourself, like you, you doing it, then you're not going to be able to be consistent. So that's the first thing I say. Uh, the second thing is, you know, where are you spending your time? Do you feel like you're actually talking to your best client where you are spending your time right now? For my business that used to be Instagram, uh, it was really only about a year ago that I kind of started moving away from Instagram. And I really enjoy spending time on Instagram even today. I just don't feel like I'm reaching my best client there anymore. So I had to, you know, take a, an honest look at that. And for me, the way I do that is with a a content marketing dashboard. I'm heavily into like the Looker Studio, Google Analytics world. And for all my clients, I do, you know, actually set one of those up so we can verifiably measure which content is generating leads. But starting out, it's where are you currently spending time? And do you feel like you are having quality conversations? And I know that I said feel a lot of times in that Uh statement. Um, Feelings are actually quantifiable data points that you can measure in your business If you don't feel like, you know, spending a half hour scrolling Instagram is netting you leads, you need to be honest about that. That does take a little bit of, you know, self-awareness, of course. Mm -hmm. But when you um, do kind of own up to whether you feel like you're doing it for yourself or whether you're doing it for your business and whether you're just scrolling or whether you're engaging, you can start making that decision. So I always say start with short answer, start with where you are enjoying spending time and then start measuring the results. Are you just scrolling or are you actually gaining leads Um, or even like potential audience leads, things that don't necessarily result in leads right away from that time. So you you mentioned obviously quantifiable stuff, things you can measure. Um, How do you know which um, bit of content or type of content is actually converting for you? What do you look for? What do you personally look for in trying to see if something is actually converting? Yeah, so I mentioned the marketing dashboard and without going like too technical here, um, I look for actual links, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Instagram, that's harder because it's like the profile link. You don't know exactly which post that is. And Instagram's API doesn't allow that information to get passed through to other sources. You can find it in the app itself, if you go into your Instagram insights on your Instagram business profile and see which posts had the most profile clicks. And that's, you know, an actual data point that you can, can track. You can't do it automatically. Unfortunately, I hate Instagram (laughs) makes that hard. It makes you wonder, by the way, why are they making it so hard? Why is it so hard? (laughs) Um, My theory is that because it's not actually often providing a lot of results and they don't want to make it easy for people to to know that but mm-hmm. you know my opinions aside right mm-hmm. um, that is an actual thing that you can track uh, other platforms where you can link right from the post um, I highly recommend using UTM links and you can track which posts are generating the most clicks from there 
you can look at each platform. So I happen to know that my bounce rate on my website, or it's not bounce rate on G4 anymore, but the amount of time someone's spending on my site from LinkedIn is usually about twice as long as someone spending it from Instagram. Hmm. So that's a really good thing for my, my business to know, right? If they're spending more time on my website, it means they're engaging with more of my content, which means it's more likely that it's hitting home for them. And therefore it's a lead generating metric that I like to track. I do have a bit of a gripe with vanity metrics, like comments and likes, um, shares, I feel like are kind of bridging the gap between vanity metrics and, and lead generating activities, but, uh, the likes and comments are still good to acknowledge because when you get a lot of feedback on a particular post, it's usually something that your people are interested in hearing more about. And you can always, you know, take a slightly different perspective on that topic and, and kind of feel it out and see if it's working well for your business. Mm -hmm. So, um, as far as, you know, you're talking about a lot of social media stuff, do you have anything, um, any content plans outside of social media, if someone's trying to get off of platforms? Yes. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> glad you asked that. Um, Everything I like to tell my clients to do and everything I talk about on my own podcast is really about long format content and driving people back to it. So I will be honest with you. I do enjoy social media personally. I have, you know, whole folders of safe posts of recipes, just like lots of other people do. <laughs> um, but for my business, I don't particularly love the amount of time I spend creating social social media. So that's why I always want to tie it to that lead generating activity. But what I'm specifically measuring is how much I'm getting people onto my website with my longer format content. Mm. So owned platforms, you know, whether that's a newsletter, uh, whether that's a, you know, video series you have on your website. It's in, in my case, I already said it's a podcast. It could be a, you know, a series of blog posts. That's the goal. When you get people off these, you know, rented land platforms like social media and into your owned platforms, that's when you can really start engaging with them and nurturing them. And everything I do content-wise is about nurturing your audience because at any given time, there's, you know, a few different segments of your audience. There's the people who are buying right now. Uh, statistics tells that that's, that that's usually only about 3% of your audience. There's the people who are willing to buy right now. And then the remaining 97%, you know, it's broken up into people who are almost ready to buy and they just need a little bit more trust in you, or they just need a little push over a kind of a hurdle that they're kind of grappling with. Mm -hmm. And then the next segment is people who actually really did want to buy, but now is not a good time. Maybe it's truly financial. They just can't swing it. Maybe they have a lot going on in their personal life and they, they know that your program is going to take a certain time investment and they can't commit to that right now for various reasons. There's lots of really good reasons why they might not want to buy now, even though they want to. Mm -hmm. And then there's the segment, of course, that probably is never going to buy. And, you know, maybe they're freebie sponges. Maybe they're just scoping you out as competition. I mean, whatever it is, like we don't really need to consider them. I mean, if they gain value in your content, great. You've served them. It's it's lovely. But um, those other two two segments, they, they need trust. You know, they need time with you. They need to see what you can do for them before they commit financially to whatever your program or your service offer is. And long format content is spectacular for that. So I love a long email nurture sequence. You know, when people come onto your list, you know, you have pre-scheduled emails that go out, you know, three, four, five months, you know, whatever works for, for your content, right? Mm -hmm. I love having the ability to work from that evergreen 
content plan that we talked about earlier. And if you're someone who does, you know, let's say three like live launches a year and each one of your live launches takes about a month, you usually have about a three month, you know, nurture time period in between each one of those launches. And you can start reposting and reusing those evergreen topics and just lean on the evergreen content that you've already created. And all of that, of course, leans on the fact that you have that long format content that has performed well for your business. So that's like the thing that most most coaches and most service providers really miss. They're like, I don't want to be creating content constantly. I don't want to be on the content creation hamster wheel. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm such a fan of the long format evergreen content. Yeah. When you say long format, how long are you talking? It depends. I know. Like it's a crappy answer, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so long format could be, you know, a five minute YouTube video. Mm-hmm. It could be a 1500 or a 2500 word blog post. That depends on your your best client and mm-hmm. you know um b2c like business to consumer clients that would be like a nutritionist talking to her audience i tend to favor slightly shorter blog posts or slightly shorter videos these are people who are probably squeezing this learning in between other activities mm-hmm. if you're talking b2b or more likely b2e which is business to entrepreneur that's like you and me talking to each mm-hmm. other right um I tend to favor slightly longer. So, you know, ranking for business topics in the world of SEO is going to require usually a little bit more length so you can cover the topic really, really robustly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people in business circles are probably more likely to watch a seven minute video than a, you know, B2C type situation. But this is like a testing thing as well. You know, when you're first starting with content, try a three minute video, a five minute video and a seven minute video see what happens. If people are loving the seven minute, then throw a 10 minute out there and see what happens. And you'll kind of find your groove as a result. Yeah. I think that was a perfect answer, by the way. It depends is absolutely the the right answer there because it's so, it is so variable, just like where your audience hangs out and what kind of posts they like and everything, just what kind of content, the length is, is so subjective. Um, Cause I, I know in, my audience, they're mainly really busy moms who are trying to fit stuff in around everything else. And they don't have the time or space to have, you know, an attention span to pay attention to a really long thing. So I know that with my content, the stuff that's shorter and very easy to digest and very easy for them to multitask while doing, uh, while watching it or listening to it, that's the content that tends to do better. And that was a testing thing, as you said, you know, that wasn't it. I automatically put out a video and it was perfect. And it's exactly what they wanted. It was definitely an iterative series of like, well, what, what kind of content do they like? What actually works? What actually is, is serving them where they are right now. And I think sitting down and asking that question is, is probably, um, what helped me the most. Well, and you know, it's interesting, right? So, um, when the pandemic first hit, when, you know, like March, 2020, right. Yeah. I, at that time noticed that how I engaged with content drastically changed. I went from having a, at at the time, a child in um, elementary school, he was in second grade and I had a almost two-year-old. He turned two like the week the world shut down. Mm. And my husband had been working in downtown Portland and he suddenly was working from home out of our bedroom because he didn't have an office, you know? And um, I, had our, my, my two-year-old, he had gone to a babysitter two days a week. He suddenly couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. And all the podcasts I regularly listened to, I just stopped. 
um, I'm not an earbud person. I can't like walk around the, right, the house right. listening to things. And I, I almost exclusively had listened to podcasts at the gym or driving and how I was able to engage with content 100% shifted. And it took me a while to kind of move back into what I call now my old pattern. I'm, I'm back, back at how you know I was pre-pandemic now, but I had to look at that and say how much of my audience also just had a drastic shift in how they can engage with content. And, you know, everyone's got a different thing. I have one of my clients, she's a therapist and she works um, with um, basically women post-divorce, like releasing trauma and Mm -hmm. just coming back to themselves. And we were working on a blog post about using essential oils to aid in that trauma release. So, you know, the first part of the blog post was um, how can you actually use essential oils in a therapeutic way? Like obviously use it with some guidance. You know, there were several points there. And then it was, you know, the six or seven best essential oils that you can use mm-hmm. for that. So if I were going to look at her audience and say, hey, um, post-divorce, midlife, probably a lot of single moms, they're going to be in the same boat. Not a lot of time. They're trying to make multiple things happen all at once. So how can we make this content easier for them to engage with? The goal, of course, is to drive them back to the full article on her website, mm-hmm. but for us to hook them in, and I mean that in, in the, the most service-based way, of course, but right, for right, us right. to hook them in, how can we do that? So, you know, we created, you know, an Instagram carousel, um, just detailing the best benefit of each one of those essential oils. And, you know, at the end, you know, the call to action is if you have any questions about how to use this in your recovery, here's more information. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big fan of saying the long format content has the most meat. It's the juiciest, right? But mm-hmm. we don't need to force our audience to engage with that piece. We can give them the benefits of that in an easy, digestible format. And then if they choose to engage further, they're committed. Like that's on them. They get to make that decision. It's a very empowering thing. But we don't have to force people to listen to a 30-minute podcast if that's not something that fits into their world. We can give them the three most salient points from that podcast. And then if they really feel aligned with the topic, they will go find out more. Mm-hmm. Might it take two weeks? It could. I'm, you know, I've downloaded plenty of podcasts and not gotten to them until two months later, but I get to them as the point, you know, mm-hmm. I get there because I made the decision that that person had a topic I was really interested in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Well, any last minute hard hitting bits of advice you you have for anybody listening right now, how to get going with this evergreen content in between their launches? Yeah. Um, I just did, this is going to sound incredibly self-serving. I do not mean it in this way, okay? <laughs> um, but the example is kind of self-serving. So um, I just did a workshop last week on setting up a content database, which does not sound, you know, fun or sexy or engaging in any way, but I will die on this hill. It is the most important thing you can do if you want to save time and yes, therefore many using content in your business because I looked at the last two years worth of clients that I have worked with and every one of them when they first came to me said either I don't have any content, we're going to have to create all this stuff from from like the ground floor or they said, oh, I have so much content. This is going to be so easy. Mm neither of them were right. Neither of those scenarios were ever right. Mm -hmm. And it's because they don't have all of their assets in one place. And I have more and more as I've gone through business, just determined that this is like the thing that makes things easier for, for all of us, whether we're moms working on 15 to 20 hours a week, like me, 
or whether we're, you know, fully funded people with a team of three, mm-hmm. having a central location for all your stuff is the only way you're actually going to be able to make it evergreen and keep leaning on it in an evergreen fashion without constantly recreating things that you've already put ideas out there for. I love that. And that's something I found in my own business as well as I had stuff saved everywhere I had. And I would, Mm -hmm. I would, you know, just be scrolling through like my Google drive or something one day and come across something that I hadn't remembered I did years ago and be like, oh my gosh, this is really good. Why aren't I using this? And it's, it's the kind of thing (laughs) of just, I mean, as fun as it is coming across those little gems, like it's like finding money hidden in your coat pocket that you haven't worn all summer. Like, yeah, it's, it's really nice but it's not terribly productive. Like it's, it's much better to have, as you said, have stuff in one central place, have everything ready to go so that you are very keenly aware of what you do have, what your assets really are and what you can be using and repurposing instead of coming across them every now and then. Well, it's like, I mean, it's, you know, finding money in the coat pocket, it's fun, right? <laughs> but I, I've done that too, right? Where I find something from like three years ago and I'm like, I give myself a little pat on the back. I'm like, ooh, three years ago, Brittany was smart. I should use that again, you know? <laughs> but um, other than the pat on the back, it's not actually serving you if you can't use it. Like yeah. content you can't find is not an asset for your business. So if if there's anything I would encourage people, especially if you're short on time, but really for anyone, it's just find something that works for your business. So you can organize and store And then yes, preferably track its effectiveness. But even if all you can do is the organization part, I think you're going to find in a month, you're going to thank yourself so much. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Well, where can people go to find you, Brittany, if they want to continue the conversation? Yeah. So my website's the best place to find me. You know, a big fan of owned media, as I've said. Uh, Also, feel free to, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. But uh, on my website, you can go to brittanygardner.com. If you go to brittanygardner.com forward slash playbook, it's my current you know freebie that I'm offering. It's just walking you through the different ways that you can easily show up online, even if all you do is create one new piece of content a week and how you can use that for your business. I love it. I definitely need to go check that out. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Brittany. I've greatly appreciated our conversation. I have notes of things I need to go jump off and, and take care of now. <laughs> you go look at uh, my well, own content. Yeah. But... Um, I appreciate it, Livia. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And thank you all for joining us this week on Marketing Like a Mother. If you found value in the show today and want to support some fellow entrepreneurs, we'd really appreciate a rating or even just telling a friend about the show. And we'll be back next week with more marketing tips for busy moms with businesses. Until then, take care.